Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. If you're a regular listener to Coast View, you know that I came from the media industry. Um, I was a CEO of a media company the last 15, 16 years of my career and led some very significant strategic planning efforts for uh, various companies. Um, I co-led the strategic planning effort for Knight Ritter, the, the company that owned, that owned the Sun-Herald. And uh, in fact, uh, interestingly enough, the final report out for that for that strategic planning effort for, for Knight Ritter was to be in San Jose, the Thursday after Hurricane Katrina hit, <laughs> to kind of give you an idea, after a year-long effort of work, and then suddenly I couldn't be there for the unveiling of that of that uh, strategic plan. But uh, later in my career, led some very significant af- efforts for uh, advanced Condé Nast, and you know was very engaged around the digital revolution, how it was impacting newspapers and and uh, media and uh, digital uh, online news sites, et cetera. So I've watched the evolution of social media, and I've talked a lot about it here on this show that that the way social media handles news and information, the way that they spread misinformation, the way that they make it appear that everyone in your news feed agrees with you. It's not good. Uh, I'm very, very pleased, though, that Facebook recently reported some changes they're going to be making to their news feed, and we can talk more about that in just a second. I want to spend a a couple of shows talking about this. The the show today, I've invited State Senator Jeremy England, who's a Republican from District 51 here on the coast, been on the show many times. Let me bring him on into the conversation to just say good morning to him first. How are you doing, Jeremy? Hey, good morning, Ricky. Doing great this morning. How are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah. You know, you and I have had this, a series of excellent conversations, both on the air and through uh, you know counter uh, our interactions on social media. And um, I've watched you carefully, and I've said in the past that what I like about you is that you may be a conservative, but you're what I refer to as an open-minded conservative. You're someone who really wants to be pressed and hear other people's point of view. And you think, whether it's a, a, a point of view that disagrees with you or not, that by listening, the end result will be a better result. And uh, you've read, uh, you went on a, you've got your, you're a lawyer, you've gone on the journey to read a lot of the great leaders of, the, of our country. You're a bit of a historian. And uh, you're someone I look forward to having this conversation about. But you recently posted something. You actually saw a book. I think you were in, in one your travels, you saw a book. The book was about the Republican Party and what's wrong with it and what's wrong with conservatives. You, you, you sort of took a picture of it, and then it spurred a thought that's it's sort of something you and I have talked about before, but why don't you tell people what your observation was? Yeah, Ricky, so when you get in the, the airport, you know, and I always like to walk through and, and see what the newest books are that are out, and you always see ones 
um, that I guess folks think are, are going to be very interesting reading, but they're, they grab your attention because they say, you know, uh, this one I believe mentioned how the Republican Party is, is destroying our democracy. Um, and you see, um, you know, it's not just books about the Republican Party. You see books from conservative authors all the time that mention how Democrats are are destroying our nation. And, you know, that that doesn't lead to good discussion, in my opinion. You know, that that makes folks more outraged. And I think we become addicted to that outrage. Uh, and then we lose focus on on the whole reason that we have our our democracy in place. It's to share ideas. It's to um, you know, it's to bring together as many ideas as possible, uh, and to have a, a competition in those ideas to see where we can where we can better ourselves and where we can uh, where we can see improvement. And I just don't think those kind of books are are helpful. I think those are actually destroying debate, um, whether they be from the far right or the far right uh, or the far left. Um, they're just not helping the conversation. Yeah, and they're they're just full of misinformation. Um, and right. we're going to talk a little bit about some of what's wrong with media. That's one of the one of the things that kind of helped kind of move this conversation along and, and, and wanting me to have it. We'll have Jeremy today, and he and I will sort of break down some of of this analysis that I'm about to share with you, what it has to say. We won't be able to get through all of the items that are on this graphic that, that kind of uh, piqued my attention. But then we'll have another show in the future, in the near future, actually, with James O'Byrne. Uh, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning editor and writer from New Orleans. He's been on the show many times. He used to work for uh, with me at, um, at NOLA Media Group. He, in fact, was my uh, VP of innovation at NOLA Media Group. But he lives in the countryside of France today. And we've been on the show a bunch of times talking about different things, you know, the state of media today and social media and whatever. But we'll get James's take on some of this as well. But what what I came across and uh, Jeremy, I sent I sent it to Jeremy via Cami, the content producer for the show. It's something I came across on visualcapitalist.com, and this is a, a website that that graphically demonstrates problems and challenges. And in this particular case, the, the headline for this one that really got my attention was 33 problems with media and one chart. 33 problems with media and one chart. And let me just read to you the summary. This is the summary to the chart, and then we'll start to kind of break it down a little bit. But here's what it says. One of the hallmarks of democracy and democratic society is a healthy, free-flowing media ecosystem. Okay, In times past, that media ecosystem would include various mass media outlets, from newspapers to cable TV networks. Today, the Internet and social media platforms have greatly expanded the scope and reach of communication within society. Of course, journalism plays a key role within that ecosystem. High-quality journalism and the unprecedented transparency of social media keeps power structures in check, and sometimes these forces can drive genuine societal change. Reporters bring us news from the front lines of conflict and uncover hard truths through investigative journalism. That said, these positive impacts are sometimes overshadowed by harmful practices and negative externalities occurring in the media ecosystem. And I, I say the media ecosystem is in trouble. You know, I, I grew up 
uh, Jeremy in a, in a in, you know I grew up became a, an intern at the Sun Herald, mm-hmm. worked my way up and ultimately become a publisher of the newspaper. One of the things I remember I had marketing responsibilities for a few years of my career. Then obviously as a publisher, marketing was always a key part of my responsibilities mm-hmm. at the newspapers that I was uh, fortunate to be publisher of. One of the things even before social media, even before the internet, people had a tendency not to trust news sources. And usually it would be based on their bias. Now, some bias is external. It's people let you know what their bias is. Like, for example, in the old newspaper world, uh, bias was often uh, reflected on the editorial pages. And we worked really hard to keep bias out of the other parts of the paper. That's external bias that would be on the on the uh, editorial page. But then there's what would be more internal bias. It would be the bias that would be inside someone. And, uh, you know, reporters will bring that bias to, to, to a story. And that's why in the old days when we had layers of editors, we could really make sure stories were corroborated. We could make sure that we tried to be as fair and honest as possible that we kept the bias out of it, just the facts, so to speak. As Alberto Ibargan, one has often said, the former publisher of El Nuevo Herald and Miami Herald, and now the current president of the Knight Foundation, what he says often is that it's so important that we provide the news and information to people in a, in a democratic society so that they can then see the facts for what they are, not with all this bias attached to it, but see the facts of what they are, and then decide for themselves you know, where they want to go. That that's the key to a functioning democracy, isn't it, Jeremy? Yeah, it absolutely is. And and I remember one of the first things that we were told in law school, our um, legal research and writing professor told us, you know, you're going to, if you have a love for reading now, you're going to start reading everything after law school a lot more skeptically. And I think that uh, that's been true for me. Um, and and uh, and I've kind of shared that with people, and I, I shared with someone the other day on, on you mentioned my post about about outrage being created in, in our media, and uh, and I was asked, you know, what what sources do you look for? And really, I think print sources are still better than um, than than your what you find on Facebook or what you get on the news, uh, especially the national news. You you know they're they're driving. Uh, ratings up so that they can get hit their advertisers. But if you read something, you read it skeptically, um, whether it be from the left or the right. And I encourage people to read both. Uh, you can you can draw facts out of that. But but I do agree with you. I think it used to be a lot easier to do that with more investigative journalism and more of the uh, you know the who, what, when, where, why, and how articles rather than uh, the the gotcha pieces and the attack articles that we see today. Uh, you know I grew up. Uh, over in Pascagoula reading the Mississippi Press and and the funny thing you know like you mentioned you had your editorial page but we also had the old crab that would uh, you know kind of say something catching and 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 that was always something you look to but it seems now like everything's the old crab you know you got <laughs> old crabs from both the left and the right um, you know just just throwing their their clickbait at you yeah, there's no doubt. Um, when we come back, we'll, again, I mentioned that even before the Internet, news organizations had to be really careful to make sure that they worked really hard to try to keep bias out of reporting. Now, then Ted Turner started CNN and this cable news network. 
and they had to fill the time. Then Talking Heads came along, and then competing news networks and the internet. The evolution has been unbelievable. And ironically, and we'll start in this next section, the fact that print has been hurt big time by the change in digital, you know, the digital tsunami. That hasn't been a good development. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about media with Jeremy England. See you after this. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're having an insightful conversation about the problems with media today that have really, these problems have created a significant change in the way that we communicate with one another, the way that we are we debate or are even willing to debate uh, different points of view. We've we've lost a nicety in, in a lot of ways in the way we communicate with one another. Um, one of the reasons is is a, a problem that's called algorithm radi- radicalization. Uh, and that kind of goes back to the filter bubbles in a way, but it's more specific. It says the hypothesis that recommendation engines can steer users toward increasingly extreme content or social platforms. And it, again, with someone, I, I like that that phrase, incidentally, algorithmic radicalization because essentially says that your new the more extreme you are the more the the artificial intelligence is going to is going to feed you more radicalized views that 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 go into your territory and man by the time you start to engage someone in a rational conversation about that subject they've been reading this radical stuff from the algorithm and the and artificial intelligence for a year and buddy they're convinced there's not you're the one who's lost your mind they haven't lost their mind. They are. They know the truth. You're just part of the establishment, and you don't know the truth anymore. And I, I really hate that, buddy. I hate that we're in that in that spot. Yeah, I do too. And I know it's one of your favorite quotes. It's attributed to to Mark Twain, but it's the quote is that it's easier to fool somebody than it is to convince them that they've been fooled. And the algorithms just just push people further into these these caves or these rabbit holes that they found themselves in. And it, uh, you know, to understand it, you almost have to be a rocket scientist. You know, you have to understand how everything you like or even everything you click on and view it it sends you into this one data stream, and then they focus everything on that. So you're building yourselves. You know, we're building ourselves a cave on social media, and we're we're seeing that. You know, if we don't trust vaccines, we're going to get every bit of information that tells us why vaccines are are terrible. Or if, um, you know, if we don't trust the Republican Party, you're going to get everything negative. So folks on the left are going to start seeing everything negative about the Republican Party. It's going to further convince people um, that they're right. Um, and that there's not even any, any need for discussion. Just don't even worry about discussion because I'm right and you're wrong. So the, algor- the algorithm works off of data. So think about artificial intelligence essentially is computer learning. Kate takes in this and is able to make decisions about 
how this information is going to be sent to you. The, the sad thing is, actually, is when they developed this this artificial intelligence, it was literally a, an ad delivery mechanism. They were gathering all this data on you. We're going to come back to come back to the data here in just a second. They're gathering all this data on you, and they were. I mean, it was a brilliant tool. But these twenty-something-year-olds in in uh, in California came up with that could that could take all this data that they're gathering and be able to target ads directly to you that would that that would make ad targeting really efficient for advertisers. Okay, that's that was the original intention of this tool. But then someone had the idea, why don't we use it to also determine what goes into people's news feeds? And that brings me to the next the next problem. And it is surveillance capitalism. And the the subhead to it says the capture and monetization of personal data. Uh, I could I've done a, I've done a whole show on this. The amount of data when you agree to go to Facebook or, you, or TikTok or any of these others, you're agreeing to let them have access to your data. Now, there's been a slight change in the way that Apple phones work that you can you can literally say you can't have my data. And right. that actually is, is, is hit Facebook, cost Facebook billions of dollars. But the reality is they're gathering all this data about you. They know where you go. They know what you like and dislike. They know the websites you go to. You would not believe what you're agreeing to give them in terms of data. But but surveillance capitalism is, uh, is kind of a scary proposition when you think about TikTok being owned by by China, isn't it? Oh yeah, very, very much so. And I, you know, a funny story about that. When I was putting this office together, my wife and I were trying to get me a nice office to sit in and be able to read and, and do my work. She said, um, you know, hey, would you would you like to have something like a beanbag chair? And I'd never even heard of a beanbag chair. Well, then I opened Facebook. And there's an ad for a beanbag chair. And guess what? I've got a beanbag chair in my office. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, and, and we were just talking. We weren't even on the app. We were just yeah. talking, and 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 that popped up. So that was kind of that was the one moment when I realized how how in tuned all of this is to listening to for key language and key terms, and then focusing it directly to you. Um, and yeah, letting China have that information. Look, yeah. they're going to be able to. You know, we have future leaders that we don't even know about yet. <laughs> they're going to rise to the top of the the um, to, of each of the political parties. And China's collecting data on everybody, you know, so yeah. they're going to be able, you know, we talked about, you know, worried about other countries going to blackmail our leaders or be able to get, behind, you know, get underneath their skin somehow. And, and look, they're listening. They're going to know exactly what to do and, and know the the best of all, all of us and the worst of all of us, unfortunately. I think, unfortunately, you know, this is something I worry about a lot, that Congress is so busy being polarized. Mm -hmm. They can't agree on some things, but when it comes to really, really, really complicated issues like what what kind of data is TikTok developing? I know they went through an analysis about it, but the reality is TikTok continues to do business in America and is gathering billions of, if not trillions of pieces of data on Americans uh, cumulatively, and it's incredible what they're learning about us. And it's not a good thing, man. It's not a good thing. Hey, another thing that's wrong is paywalls. Well, uh, but that's the only way some organizations, particularly print publications, can make money. They, they, they can't, you know, their subscriptions have fallen dramatically, so they have to have paywalls. But what these, this mechanism usually does, though, is it prevents people from accessing assessing uh, information that's important for them to read. So we end up getting a lot of free content as a result of, I understand paywalls. I, 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 boy, do I understand why we have to have them. But it, right. what happens as a result of that is a lot of people don't get to read some really good news stories that they should read. Any comment about that? 
Yeah, I'll just say real quick that I think those lead to expanded headlines, you know, because you have your, your, your clickbait headline and then you have that first paragraph that's usually free before you hit that, that paywall uh, part of the, of the article. And look, they're trying to draw your attention in and get you right there. So, so you know, but if you don't click that, if you don't click and pay for the rest of the article, you move on with whatever you drew from that that first little headline grabber. Uh, so, yeah, paywalls are 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 difficult a difficult part of where we find ourselves. But I, I'm with you. I, I agree that you know you have to have you have to put, you know journalists do this. This is their job, um, and they deserve to be paid for it. Yeah, there's there's no doubt, and there's still a struggle to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 revenue model that's going to sustain the efforts, and as a result, what's happened is you're seeing uh, the next problem, which is news deserts, communities that are no longer served by dedicated local news media, and that's a sad reality. But it's true. I mean, people just can't afford to be in the business anymore. Hey, listen, it costs a lot of money to be in the newspaper business, right? And uh, a lot of newspapers are still trying to print newspapers. Yeah. I've said this before, and I really believe it that news the printed newspaper died a long time ago we you know the industry unfortunately just hasn't been willing to give it a, a funeral yet but but part of the reason they haven't been willing to give it a funeral yet is because they're still trying to figure out how to how to make the business model work in the digital realm a few companies have done that but but a lot have not and as a result companies have gone out of business or certainly they've cut back on news resources so much so that we have news deserts that are emerging all across the united states any any comment about that yeah no i just i hate that you know because mississippi is a rural state so we find ourselves with with a lot of news deserts and and i think look when i was going door-to-door campaigning for this job uh, a couple years ago you know, folks would tell me, "Look, be careful. Watch out for AOC up there." You know, and well, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to Washington. I'm going to Jackson, number one. But number two, AOC, you know, she's up in New York. She's getting elected by her voters. I disagree with she probably everything she says, but um, you know, that's not our that's not our news market. You know, no. but but it is their news market because they, they <clears throat> have to rely on national news now because they don't have a good local um, consistent source uh, for news here in Mississippi. So you well, have. They do. I'm a, sorry, they do. They just haven't found it yet, right? Yeah, you had a significant uh, change in newspapers across the country. There are a couple of local, rich local owners, but for the most part, most of the major companies, for example, McClatchy that owns the Sun Herald, are now have been consolidated and are run by venture capital f- firms. And um, so media consolidation has been a really, really big change. So corporate media is doing the best they can to try to eke out as much profit out of the situations they possibly can. There's a there's a lot more that's related to just how this stuff's done on the, on the internet. Like, like for example, social bots, autonomous and human-run accounts on social media platforms that manipulate discussions and boost specific uh, messages. A lot of ad clutter. Um, astroturfing, publishing content that creates the illusion grassroots interest in a policy or individual. Deplatforming, when individuals and communities are banned from social and publishing platforms. Um, content, context stripping, uh, no fly zones, uh, infotainment, horse race journalism, fake news and disinformation, good versus evil, rumor cascades. 
I haven't even scratched the surface, buddy. When you start to add it up, it is complicated. And you, and I don't see where all this goes. We're going to talk about hit-and-run coverage and dog dogpiling and implied truth effect and all these things when we come back. We'll continue this conversation with Senator Jeremy England. See you after this. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're having a conversation with Senator Jeremy England about the, about you know, I would say, if I were going to frame this conversation, it's about the changing media landscape and how it has changed the discussion that happens in the public square today. Oftentimes, the public square is in social media. <laughs> because people will say something to you on social media, they're not going to necessarily say to your face. And as I said to you before the, the, uh, the show even started, when you add to that the complication that we never really know what someone's going through, that uh, they may lash out at you on social media, but you're just a straw that broke the camel's back. And you know, sometimes you would react you know, to the face value of their comment, not really understanding that they, they're having issues. But people will say things to you on social media they won't say to you in, in person. So, hey, Jeremy, one, la- one thing I, I want to mention just before we, before we get into some of this breakdown of the 33 problems with media is that when I left the Sun-Herald, in, in 2009, to go be publisher of the, of the uh, Mobile Press Register, we had over 50 people in our newsroom. That was in 2009. And uh, today, I think they have four or five. Right. You know? So what's happened, you said that you know, the credible sources, still there's a, there's a journalistic ethos that drives uh, newspapers today that's just, you know, just as important as it was back in the days, you know, back in the early days. And that's why you still cite them as a credible source. But the reality is that the layers of, of, of editors and all the things that we had in place to make sure that we were tr- trying to take bias out and making sure stories were, were uh, relevant and well-sourced. Um, all that's gone now. And, and so, you know, what's happened, and then, of course, you've had seen this incredible evolution of social media and, you know, fake news sources and all this other stuff, and it's just gotten it's gotten crazy. And I, I hate to say this, and, and this is, you know, coming from someone who's lived a, a life in it, I don't see a s- simple solution. I really don't. I, as I mentioned at the beginning, I see, you know, Facebook's going to make some changes that I think is going to help. But w- once we start to break all this down, man it's uh it's uh it's complicated it's super complicated any any uh any more observations about what we've talked about so far before we get into some of these items yeah no just real quickly i'll just <clears throat> i'll just say that i i agree i think i think media has become more consumer driven rather than uh you know information driven like i believe it should be uh and look editorials play a very very important role 
you know, the editor's page is just important as, a, as the front page in a lot of ways. It, it grabs attention and it, and it puts it out there. But we've gotten to where I think yellow journalism is is, is creeping its way back in and becoming more of a norm. Uh, you know, that we saw yellow journalism, the whole remember the main issue that, that started the Spanish-American War, and that was turned out to be completely false. You know, the Spanish didn't attack our uh, ship, the main, uh, in, in Havana Harbor. Um, but, you know, it sold newspapers. It got everybody outraged, and we went to war over it. Uh, so it's... It's, you know, we've got a prime example there in history of why we have to step back and and demand better from from media. I posted something the other day, um, and you know, it referred to media and a, a really dear friend of mine who is conservative, and he's a bit of an attack dog, unfortunately, these days on social media. But he came back to me and says. There are no credible journalists. I mean, that was his you know, statement. And then another friend who is a really noted journalist, I don't think my friend who made the initial comments realizes the guy who commented was a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist. And he said that he said there, there definitely are credible journalists in America today. But when you look at these 33 issues, 33 things that have caused people to have their doubts, yeah, I don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle. Let's start looking at some of these. Right. Okay. Uh, the first one is tabloidization. And here's what it says about that. Enhanced focus on entertainment and the lives of celebrities and more superficial coverage of current events. Well, the truth is that we don't have the reporters out there like we used to have that, that could dig and not do a story for several weeks because they're really working on something with a lot of, a lot of depth. What typically drives a lot of corporate decisions these days are where the most amount of audience is going to be. And so they sell that audience. You have to have an enormous audience to be successful in the digital round these days from a digital advertising point of view. So you've seen a, a lot of enhanced focus on entertainments and lives of, of celebrities. And boy, that, I mean, that is true. That's, you see that on the, on the internet every day, don't you, Jeremy? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it seems like it's been a lot more since, since 2016, it's shifted into where our, you know, those, those tabloids are involved in politics a lot more. And, and look, we, we elected, um, you know, Donald Trump was a, was a reality TV star. I mean, that's who we, we ended up electing in, in 2016. And we're kind of seeing more, you know, you're seeing the AOC headlines, you know, out of New York there, they grab your attention, but yeah, it's, it's tabloid type, uh, journalism like that, that has us interested in things that we probably ought not really care as much about. The next one is really powerful, and that's why I like this graphic so well. Again, 33 problems with media today, but it, it, the headline on it is filter bubbles. And here's what it says. Highly personalized content fees result in a lack of exposure to viewpoints that are outside a user's existing worldview. And I could, I could go deeper into that, but I talk about this all the time. Uh, so what Facebook did is they, there's no way they could have enough humans. They wouldn't be profitable if they did, like newspapers and other media companies have to have. Um, they, they cannot have enough humans, so what they've done is they use advanced artificial intelligence to determine what our news feeds are. So they're feeding us more information. See, what they used to do prior to doing this, they used to give us in our news feeds our friends in a, a basic a sequential order as they posted. That's how we would get it. But right. then they said, you know what, if we start doing it this way, using artificial intelligence to determine people's news feeds, we'll bring stuff into their news feeds that they would not otherwise have gotten from their friends, and we're going we're gonna to spike some conversations. And usually the conversations we spike 
are, are they're going to spike more if it's, if it involves politics or or or, or something that, that where there's disagreement. So you know essentially what's happening is Facebook made more money by causing conflict with us, by causing division, by making it appear that everyone in your newsfeed agrees with you, and that was a major major problem with media, wasn't it? It was. And and then you, you know, just kind of an offshoot from that is that you, you know, you have that like button. And, and so you're seeking that. So the more outrageous you are, uh, you know, you want those, you know, you want followers to jump in and say, yeah, you know, you really got them. You, you really hit them there. Um, but it reminds me of something I've, I was told recently. I've heard it before and we, we hear it a lot now and it's true. It's that you can never insult somebody into changing their mind. Right. And it seems like that's all we're trying to do now on social media. You want to get that that one good hit in uh, at the person. And really all you're doing, I, I use the, the boxing rink example a lot. You're sending the boxers to their corners and getting them ready to, to go back at it. I mean, they're not there. There's no discussion. Well, no valuable discussion that comes from that. Yeah, it's it. And you're, the problem is that the amount of misinformation that gets shared in your newsfeed once you know once a certain point of view is understood by the artificial intelligence, then it just continues to feed it. And after time, a, a, a very strong confirmation bias begins to occur. Um, t- tell people who don't know what confirmation bias is. Tell them what that is. Yeah, so so the confirmation bias is just that, you know, you have this idea in your head and and say you get on Google or uh, your Facebook algorithm already has you figured out, which is most likely to be the case. You start getting articles that just confirm what your opinion is on something. There's never any challenge to it. Uh, and, and as a conservative, I value competition in every part of our life, especially when it comes to our ideas and how we um, – uh, you know how we should move forward in this country and in this state, uh, but you don't get that if you don't have that competition. Y- you can really end up in a very tough spot where, you know, you might be wrong, uh, yeah. or, or at least you might have a terrible idea that you've not challenged. All you've done is just reinforce that, and that's what confirmation bias. Uh, why it can mm-hmm. be dangerous. You can end up reinforcing some um, some things that you probably shouldn't. Well, a good example of that that is in that is in current events is Alex Jones. Alex Jones, you you've seen him in the in the news, but he is the guy who said the Sandy Hook uh, massacre did not take place, and he was sued, and uh, the rest is sort of history. But we're learning a lot about Alex Jones through that process. But I mean, this guy was a purveyor of the conspiracy theory, and for a long period of time, long you know, listen, Facebook eventually banned him, but for a very very long period of time, the primary spreader of his of his you know his conspiracy was facebook and and so uh, you know that that's a good example there are hundreds more if not thousands more just like him they're that are spreading misinformation that are that, that appear to be real but they're not and they're spreading misinformation causing lots of problems in our society and in our democracy as a result right. um and in that way, in that way, Facebook was complicit, really. I mean, because Facebook pushed people like Alex Jones forward because Alex was getting a lot of clicks. Alex was getting creating a lot of conversations and conflict and interactions between users. And the more interaction, the more money Facebook made. And they let that go on, and they continued to let it go on in, in a lot of ways uh, for a long, long time before they took Alex Jones out of the, out of the mix. Uh, less than a minute, but you can respond real quick. 
Yeah, just real quick, I'll just say it reminds me, you know, the more outrageous you are, the more attention you get. I had a friend in high school, and her dad was an assistant pastor at our church uh, over in Pascagoula, and he would watch the Howard Stern show every night. And I asked her why. You know, she said, well, he just he loves to get angry about it. You know, he just hates what the guy says, so he tunes in every night. And I think that's kind of where a lot of us find our, ourselves um but shoot, we didn't have Facebook back then, so it's no, uh, no. it's just a lot easier to find that outrageous content. The next one is clickbait. It's sort of what we were talking about a few minutes ago, but clickbait's a little bit different because what uh, here's the subhead to what they said: a framing method that uses exaggerated language or, or and omitted information to entice readers to click through or watch. Boy, I've, the internet is full of clickbait. Some of it's news. A lot of it's just videos today. And frankly, that's what's changing. That's what's going to change uh, uh, Facebook. When we come back on the other side, we'll continue this conversation with Senator Jeremy England. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Final segment of Coast View. We're having a conversation with Senator Jeremy England about the problems that exist in media today and how it has impacted the, the public conversation. And I, I just started reading off some of these problems when we went to break, but there's too many to count. There's 33 in this particular chart, um, and there's a, there's a lot to it. There's two that I want to talk about in, in particular here. One is fake news disinformation, and here's the subhead on that, deliberately disseminating untrue information and publishing fake news. Outlets will sometimes adopt the look and feel of credible news outlets without apply, applying the same standards of quality. So that's one. Uh, the next one is implied truth effect, attaching warnings to specific pieces of content, increasing perceived accuracy of content without warnings. Warnings. Research has found that warnings tag help people identify false content, but also make them more likely to believe false stories that are untagged. Wow. How do people know what to trust, Jeremy? Yeah, look, you just you have to get as many sources as you can and, and really trust your gut. And and look, I turn a lot to my faith on things like that, you know, because if I you know, if I have a good a solid foundation based on family and faith and and my conservative principles i can i can wade into some some pretty tough things knowing that i'm i'm strong enough to do that so i think that's number one i think folks need to know who they are um and then number two know that look that might be the only person you need to trust when it comes to to um what you feel i used to i really did not like when when president barack obama would would make a statement he would just he would say you know that's not who we are or that's not what america is and I thought, you know, that's a that's a prime example of just just putting a period at the end of the sentence and moving on and not having discussion. I said, I just, I never liked that, and I think that's kind of where we we find ourselves sometimes. Um, so we have to have that open that openness to the media and to the social media aspect of things. Uh, it's not it's definitely not good to to ban certain ideas. Um, 
because uh, again I, I can't come back to it enough that the competition the competition of ideas the discussion that has to be had about things whether you like it or not you know and, and look it's tough to change your opinion on things i know this specifically it's very tough um to to you know be challenged and, and realize you know what maybe I've, I've looked at this from the wrong way but i think it was was winston churchill who said that look if you can't change your mind you'll never change anything yeah um, yeah but but how do you go about getting the right facts right it's a challenge that we all it's have it's hard and cable news especially but you know a lot of a lot of what we're talking about this a lot of these things that we're talking about are both on cable news and are spread in in um uh, on the internet, like for for example, explicit bi- uh, bias, when the attitudes and beliefs of publishers overtly dictate what stories are covered and how those stories are framed. Now, Fox would have one point of view about that, and CNN would have another point of view about that. But I had an experience. Um, the CBS, excuse me, NBC News after Hurricane Katrina sent some report, a reporter, a noted reporter. In fact, I framed his thank you note to me afterwards as a reminder that sometimes reporters don't get good leadership but he was they were they were brought sent down here to do a story about how african-american and vietnamese homes were being bulldozed on the point of Biloxi after hurricane katrina and i said seriously that there are no homes left on the point they were wiped out by hurricane katrina and i said let me take you i took him there and showed him you know the whole and i so the next day he did a story interviewed me and he says i'm sorry but the headline's still going to be that you're bulldozing african-american and vietnamese homes i said are you kidding me he said that's the story that's the way the story was framed by producers in new york I said, man, that's what's wrong with news media today. And he, he kind of bowed his head and kind of understood the situation. But that's terrible, man. That's terrible when they want to frame. You know, Mississippi gets in that. We get in that position too often where they cherry pick or they, they have a, one of the next one, narrative uh, fallacy. They they don't want to get both sides. There's a lot of uh, a lot of sensationalism. It's not good, you know, unfortunately. Right. And look, that's flat out yellow journalism there, too. You know, you've got the story in your mind and you just go find your facts to put in it to make your story um, read the way you want it to read, which is another thing. You know, we all we always hear now in the, from the media, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Well, you know, that sounds great. But when you've got the story in mind and you're going and, and like you say, cherry picking the facts to put in there. You know, you're the one doing that, and and that leads to distrust, especially amongst those of us here in Mississippi that knows that was not that we, we know that was not true. We know that we as Mississippians, uh, particularly here on the Gulf Coast, we all suffered together, and we all you know we all pulled together, and and you know that's your story is how, you know how resilient the the Gulf Coast was, and and how. Even when it comes to race relations, you know, we're living race relations here in Mississippi. You know, we we, we have to. We're one of the most diverse states in the country. Um, but I guess what sells outside of Mississippi is something that's just a complete lie um, that, that I guess folks buy into and it sells newspapers. But it's, it's just it's a. It's a terrible situation. Uh, well, we're coming to our end of our time together, but the uh, the last one, all this leads to what is called argument culture, or argument culture, defaulting to an adversarial approach when encountering people with an opposing worldview. I wish that people would realize that a lot of what you and I just talked about is about manipulation. It's about, it's about leading them to a place that is often false. 
certainly is full of misinformation and bias. And what it's doing is creating the opportunity for them to seek confirmation bias. And then when they, and then of course, this argument that you talked about at the very beginning, there is actually addictive. You know, the same chemicals that drive this outrage, and we want to be outraged, is the same thing that drives addiction in lots of other ways. But hey, we're going to continue this conversation because you, you know, our goal is to just to educate people and make them a little bit more open-minded. And hopefully, this conversation did that. Thank you for taking the time, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Ricky. I, I appreciate it. And happy belated birthday to you. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, my friend. This has been Senator Jeremy England, a good friend of Coast View. Have a good day. We'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.